Today we're going into Philemon uh, because uh, a long time ago I made the mistake of promising that we would go through all of Paul's letters, not realizing this would probably take up like half my life. So today we're in Philemon, and I was like, oh, nice, Philemon, we can knock this out. One chapter, we only need one Sunday, right? I was so wrong. We need three. So <laughs> this is a one chapter book, it's like 20, 25 verses. It's going to take us three weeks. I'm sorry for myself, all right? Three weeks worth of work for me. Uh, but, uh, you know, I've been, I've been pretty blessed so far in uh, my study of this book, and so I hope that uh, you will be blessed as well. The letter to the house of Philemon is written by Paul uh, while Paul is under house arrest in Rome. So he's not, like, behind bars prison, but he's, like, he can't leave it <coughs> But he does have people coming and going from his house, uh, where yeah, that he's arrested in. Uh, as you can see uh, in the greeting, it says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. So he's literally a prisoner. Uh, and Timothy, our brother. So this letter is being written uh, by Paul and Timothy. What's probably happening here is that Paul is dictating this letter, and Timothy is writing it out for him. Um, and Timothy is one of these people who's coming and going, visiting Paul, and helping him out in his ministry. And, uh, you know, obviously, very short letter compared to his other letters. And it is... Um, <coughs> it's going to be delivered to Philemon by someone who we will, we will examine in the weeks to come. Um, another one of these visitors that Paul has, and we'll talk about it next week. But uh, what is unique in the context, uh, what is unique about this letter in the context of Paul's other letters is that Paul has never actually met Philemon. He has, he has never met this guy. Uh, in the other epistles, you know, Corinthians, Galatians, like all these other books, he is writing these letters to churches he himself has planted. He has founded these churches. He has pastored these churches. Um, the, the phrases that he's writing about, about these people, he knows who they are. He's celebrating them. When he's rebuking them, he can see their faces in his head. He's like, you stupid head. And he's rebuking them, and he knows who he's talking about. By Lehman, he has never met. Um, he has never pastored him personally. Um, <coughs> and so Paul, as I said, you know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about why he is writing this letter. And Paul is going to use his letter to ask something very specific of Philemon. But again, we have to take note that he is asking for a very large favor from a man he has never met. Philemon is a stranger to Paul. <coughs> what does a stranger mean? Again, they have never met, although perhaps at some point they might meet. You know, in verse 22, if you skip ahead, uh, Paul says, prepare a room for me. I think Paul was hoping that one day he'll get a chance to meet this guy. Um, so they're strangers. And not only is Philemon a stranger to Paul, they are very, very different people. And they're different, at least as far as I can tell in my reading of this chapter and kind of the brief commentaries that I've read. They're different in three major ways. The first way is family. They are very different in terms of the kinds of families that they lead. We see in the, you know, in the introduction, uh, Paul mentions Aphia 
and Archippus. Aphia is most likely Philemon's wife, and Archippus is most likely Philemon's son. And so we see Philemon, he's a family man, right? He's got a wife, married, children. Paul is very famously not married. Right, remember in 1 Corinthians 7 7, it's talking about this Corinthian church and man, like they did, they just want to do it like all the time. And he's like, all right, if you want to do it, like you gotta get married. But he's also saying he says in uh, chapter 7, verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, I wish that all were as I myself am. Basically, a long way of saying, I'm not married, I wish you were not married too. But he's not married, he's very famously single. <coughs> <coughs> Second way they're different is their wealth. Look at uh, look at the introduction again. It says in chapter in verse two, and if you are a sister and Archippus is a fellow soldier and the church in your house. Philemon hosts a church in his house. All right. So given the political status of early Christianity and the Roman Empire, uh, churches did not meet in churches, but they met in houses and public spaces. Um, but think about uh, what, that, what, what it requires to, you know, house a church. Uh, I'm sure Esther can attest to what it means to house a church for, let's say, a Christmas party or like, a, or literally anything, right? Like when you when you house a church, you probably need a big house, right? Uh, you would need a house large enough to fit the ever-growing Christian population in the Mediterranean region. And not only that, you'd probably need space, not just to fit people in there, but you need space for communion meals, because this is something that they did regularly. They did, you know, they participated in the Lord's Supper, having full-on meals and, and wine together. And so, um, that's just one of the clues that we have but we know that Philemon is probably very rich, he's probably very influential in Colossae. Paul writes a letter to the church in Colossae, Colossians. But uh, Philemon is a pretty rich guy. And Paul, he is not, he is not. Paul relied on, uh, Paul did not have a lot of money. Paul relied on the kindness of the churches that he had planted, uh, such as the repeated gifts he received from the church in Philippi as he describes in Philippians 4, uh, as well as manual labor. See, Paul was a tent maker slash leather worker, worked with his hands. And so, um, even today, people who work with their hands are generally not wealthy people. And so he used these two things, pretty much donations, and he took breaks sometimes to work uh, in order to fund his ministry and fund what he was doing. Paul was not rich, Philemon was probably very rich. And finally, um, they are different in terms of where they make their dwelling. Uh, Philemon hosted a church. People came to his house. He had a stable lifestyle. He didn't move around from one place to another. Uh, he, had, he had a setup in Colossae. He was, he was there, but Paul, uh, he's always hopping around the Mediterranean. And right now, uh, he has no place to rest his head. In fact, he is under arrest at this moment. <coughs> so these are two strangers and two people who could not be any more different. From different regions in the Mediterranean, they're different uh, culturally, they're different in 
terms of wealth, they're different in terms of uh, how they see family, they're different in terms of when they came to Christ. Uh, Philemon came to Christ relatively recently, Paul is an apostle. And yet, and yet, for all their differences, for all their lack of familiarity with one another, Paul greets Philemon and he writes to Philemon as he would a close friend and a treasured companion. We look at all of his other epistles, you know, he writes his letters to Timothy, his letters to all these other churches, and it sounds very familiar to what I'm about to read to you now. He says this, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Though Paul and Philemon are separated by distance, class, wealth, and much more, Philemon is a source of thankfulness, of thanksgiving, he's a source of joy, and he is a source of comfort for Paul. These men are strangers, but they share this deep bond with one another. How could this be? And this bond seems to be deeper than any cultural, relational, geographic, or social context. Two men have never met, but they are as if it's as if they are brothers. And indeed, the bond that binds Philemon together with Paul, and the bond that binds everyone who puts their faith in Christ, is the gospel, the gospel of the cross, and the gospel of the empty tomb of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. These two men are strangers but they are brought together by the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> Indeed, it is the gospel of Jesus that makes sons and daughters out of orphans, brothers and sisters out of enemies, and close companions out of strangers. <clears throat> Jesus Christ is our shared joy. He is our shared peace, and he is our shared we were reading Ephesians 1 this Friday with our youth group, and it says this, He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And so, brothers and sisters, we are united, just as Paul and Philemon were united, maybe not by what we enjoy or who we are in terms of our hobbies, or what we're studying, or where we come from, or our wealth, or our class, or where we live. We are united by the blood and gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as Paul, he celebrates this unity and this fellowship, we too 
are called to rejoice in the fellowship that we have in the gospel. We are called to rejoice in the unity that we have in one another, and not just one another, but with every single Christian on the planet. We are called to rejoice in this. And this is where I go in with three points. All right, so we rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because, number one, it is a source of encouragement in our own journey of faith. We rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because it is a source of encouragement in our own journey of faith. And I'll go uh, by pretty much what Paul says to Philemon in verse 4 and 5. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. You know, genuine love for God and genuine love for God's people is utter foolishness to those who do not believe. But it is a blessing to behold for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is foolishness, foolishness, not foolishness to the unbeliever, and a blessing to the believer for the exact same reason. And the reason is this, that, um, the reason is that we do not deserve it. We do not deserve it. Um, I was reading my morning Devo and talking about envy. And um, sometimes we are prone to envy to look at other people, look at what they've got going on, and maybe even in terms of their faith, right? You look at them and they're on a spiritual high, and I love Jesus, and they're posting coffee Instagrams, and, and, and we're just like, man, like why does why does my faith not look like that? Right? Like how come how come my my faith doesn't have a filter on it? Like um, but at the, at the end of the day, we are envious of other people. Because what envy says is that you deserve it. That you're the one who's supposed to have this deep relationship. You're the one who's supposed to be on this spiritual high. And maybe we go beyond spirituality, right? You know, you're the one who's supposed to have those grades. You're the one who's supposed to have that girl, that guy. You're the one who's supposed to have that kind of money. Like, on and on. But when we are in tune with the gospel and what the gospel says about us. We, and we listen to the gospel, we hear and we come to understand that we did not deserve it. And yet, God loves you. We do not deserve God's love. We do not warrant his love. We do not do anything to earn his love, and in fact, we do things every day that probably give God cause to wipe us from the face of the earth, and yet, he loves us, and yet he has saved you, and yet he has called you his own. He has, as it says in Ephesians, he has adopted you into his family. And so when we, when we see others 
who are experiencing breakthrough in their faith, when we see others who are experiencing joy and love, just as Paul hears of Philemon, <coughs> it is foolishness to the unbeliever because what did they do to deserve that? But it is a blessing to the believer because we can say, what did they do to deserve that? What did I do to deserve such a blessing? And yet God continues to pour out his love over his people. And we are encouraged and we share our faith not to show off and on the receiving end not to feel overwhelmed or burdened. Oh man, I gotta be a good Christian. Like I gotta, I gotta show the people that I'm like reading my Bible and praying. But no, we are our faith, however broken it is, or however uh, However much breakthrough we're experiencing, we are a blessing to behold for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because our faith ultimately does not point to us, but our faith points to the source of our indomitable joy and peace. Our faith, the faith that encourages, does not say, look at me, but it says, look at God. Look at what Christ has done for me. Look at what Christ can do for you. We are to be encouraged by the faith of other people because if displayed correctly, it shows us how little we are. And it shows us how great God is. Uh, point number two. We rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because we are called to support others as they work out their salvation. We rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because we are called to support others as they work out their salvation. Verse six, and I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. You know, mission season is coming up. <coughs> Probably gonna get a lot of posts on Facebook. Hey, I'm going to Nicaragua. Can you like support me? Um, <laughs> and, um, I'm going to Talbot Seminary. Can I send you a message? Let's just give a we'll give a hand to Jason. Or just <laughs> is a really beautiful thing, actually. The more I think about it, and the more I've repented of my own. Uh, anyway, um, because we get to be a part of the mission of Christ in other people. We are given glorious opportunities to witness in a context outside of our own. How? By supporting those who are who are. Not only that, but by supporting those who are working out their faith, who are trying to make much of Christ in their lives, to, to support and help those who are not perfect, of course, but who are living for the glory and renown of God each and every day in their lives. We get to do that. 
We get to do that through prayer. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. God has given us this great tool to orient the very reality and fabric of our universe. That's crazy. To have this direct connection to God and to plead for one another. That is a, that is a gift that we can give it. We can support others through the act of prayer and through a lifestyle of support and care. That is what fellowship is all about. Um, so, we rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because, this is the third one, the fruit of our faith blossoms in community. We rejoice in the fellowship of the gospel because the fruit of our faith blossoms in community. Verse 7, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. <coughs> you know, if you look at the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, there are nine of them. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We look at these fruits, and we oftentimes we think about these fruits, and we think about uh, kind of growing in our faith uh, as a singular activity. It's something we got to take care of. I got to be more loving. I got to have more peace. I got to be kinder. All right? But what we fail to realize is that the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of our faith displays its full glory in the context of our community. And this is a pretty duh revelation to me. Because how can you love if you're not loving other people? Like, if there's no other people to love, you're not. You're not loving anybody. If you can't be patient, if, 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 if there are not people pissing you off, how are you going to practice patience? If there are not other people who are being mean to you, how can you practice kindness? But you see, it is in community. And it, it is in the act of strangers being brought near by the blood of Christ that we can display and practice the fruits of the Spirit. And so, I'll close with this, with Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so, brothers and sisters, may we not live as strangers, but may we live as brothers and sisters who have been adopted into the family of Christ by the blood of Christ to live a life that has been won for us by the resurrected Christ. Let's pray. <coughs> Father God, thank you so much for the gospel that not only saves me, but the gospel that has saved us. The gospel that has secured the peace and joy and faith of your church. Father God, thank you so much that it is the gospel that binds us together, not, not, not what we're interested in, not what we're into, not where we are even, but Lord, the thing that binds us all together, all, all of those who are worshiping today in New Jersey all the way to the ends of the earth, it binds us together as the blood of Christ. 
which has secured our salvation and has brought for us eternal joy and peace. And so, Father, um, would we remember that this faith and this bond is not even ultimately about us, but ultimately it is to point to how good and great and majestic you are. Father, may we live not for ourselves, but for you and for others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.